Hey everyone, this is Jim, and welcome back to another Faith Tested by Fire podcast. flipping through a book online. It was written several years back, maybe a decade ago, and uh, the person was talking about God's power and miracles and healing, and uh, they were talking about people who had uh, gotten up on a stage during a big service meeting where they prayed for the sick and announced that they had received their healing and were able to do things they weren't able to do before. And then they were dead two weeks later. So you hear stories like that, and it's it's disturbing, to say the least. And um, we put a lot of the um, blame on God. I know nobody wants to blame God for um, evil when when you have faith in God, when you trust God. But at the other end of the spectrum... A lot of times we have these inward beliefs that have been built up over time by our own personal experiences. And if our inward beliefs don't line up with what the Bible says, it's easy to say, well, the Bible really doesn't mean that. And then if you drill down even further, um, you know, sometimes people will even get mad at you. Well, we, we, we see through the glass darkly as the Bible says, and I don't use that as an excuse just to blow things off, but I believe God is totally good, and with him there is no variance, neither shadow of turning, because that's what the Bible says. No variance, neither shadow of turning. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above. Well, if it's not good and if it's not perfect, it's not coming down from above. And if what we need isn't coming down from above, then uh, we have different mindsets in the uh, in the world of faith, I guess we would call it, of people people of faith, people who believe the Bible, um, there are certain parts that they don't believe work all the time, and there's reasons why they don't believe it works all the time. But I would say that that problem has always been around. That type of thinking has always been there. Else, why would James say explicitly that there is no variance with God? There's no shadow of turning. The Bible calls him the father of lights, that he is good, honest, holy, and no respecter of persons. So that's interesting. So in Christ, every man becomes a, who believes becomes a new creation. Old things have passed away, and uh, all things are new. And so the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is our righteousness, Jesus is our redemption. Jesus is our sanctification. And he's our wisdom. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. If you don't know what those words mean, you can look them up in a concordance. But it says Jesus has become all those things to us. So there was a time before Jesus was leaving when he told his disciples that you know the way. You know where he was going and you know the way. And one of his disciples said, well, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And his response to them was, I am the way, 
So he was always putting the focus not just on the information, but on the person who was giving the information. Let me say that again. Jesus wasn't just putting an emphasis on the words, but on the source of the words. For example, he said that the Father was in him reconciling the entire world unto himself, and that it was his Father that was doing the works. So another word, and he even said, the words that I speak are not my own, but the Father that dwells in me. He tells me what to say. So when the woman was caught in the midst of adultery, and Jesus said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone, that was because that was God the Father in him making that judgment call. And then he turned to the woman and said, woman, where are your accusers? And when she told them that they were all gone, that there was none left to accuse her, then he says, I won't accuse you either. Go your way and sin no more. Peter made this statement. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Today, seven, seven times? He thought that was a reasonable number. Perhaps he knew that seven was the number of completion, as some people say. So that's maybe where he came up with that number. Seven times? That sounds good. And Jesus said, no, seven times 70. So would he require us to do any less than he himself would be willing to do? Obviously, the answer to that is no. So it comes down to whether we choose faith or fear. And in some cases, some people need somebody else to believe for them because they can't do it on their own. They're not in a place where they can do it. For example, the Bible says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. I've heard scholars say over the years that in the original language, it's implied that you're so sick that you can't pray for yourself. So is anyone among you that sick? Because what does it say in other parts of the Bible? It says, you know, is there anyone among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there anyone among you rejoicing? Let him, let him sing songs. So in other words, you have your own personal responsibility, but there comes a time when others have to step in for you. Now just think about how that is in life. I remember one time um, when I was outside, I was working outdoors. This is in New Jersey during the winter time, and it got so cold that I couldn't speak clearly. My mouth became numb, and my hands were so, my fingers became so swollen and stiff that I could no longer open my hand just naturally. I had to use one hand to open the other. And so I remember my dad came out and told me to go inside, and then he picked up with, with the job that I was left off with. He said, go inside and, and get warm. I just couldn't handle it anymore. Somebody had to step in. And see, God does that for us throughout our lifetimes. I mean, there's times where you can't pray. Have you ever been just so discouraged, so just beaten down, so tired mentally, physically, in every way possible, that the only thing you can say is, God help me, you know? And, and sometimes you receive great results from that type of prayer. But you know, the Bible says that Jesus makes intercession for us continually. 
So you have someone in heaven who's praying for you all the time. So we say, well, you know, God just does things the way he does things. And it seems, many people have said this, that unless something prays, unless someone prays, it seems like nothing happens. And so there is a system in place where prayer is a, a necessary element in bringing the power of God to bear on a situation. You find out oftentimes that somebody was praying, even if it wasn't that person. I've heard stories about people who have been awoken in the middle of the night with an urgency to pray for somebody. Maybe that's happened to you. And that's God. So God is unlimited, but yet he has created a system whereby there are limits. It seems that spiritual beings have limits. Angels have limits. Demons have limits. Um, Satan has limits. And God works within this system of limitation that he created. My guess is, and this is only my guess, is because this allows free will to be exercised. Because God wanted to create man in his image. Man has free will. He has the ability to choose. In Deuteronomy, around the... um, I think it's in several places, but I'm trying to think of the um, verses escaping for the moment. But he said, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. In other words, I set these things before you. Now you can choose. And you would think to yourself, you might think to yourself, who would choose death? Who would choose cursing instead of blessing? But the reason why so many people choose it is because it's not packaged as it is, in truth, it's, it's disguised, right? What did, what did Satan, what did the serpent tell Eve in the garden? Surely you will not eat this in the day. Surely you will not die in the day that you eat this, but you'll become as gods, knowing good, good and evil. And so he packaged short-term benefits and basically brushed off that there was any consequence with it. And so the curse, choosing the curse, doesn't appear that you're choosing a curse. It appears that you're choosing a, a blessing. But there's, there's a lot of fine print attached to the choice that you're making. You see, when you, when you choose God, you choose life. When God is the center of what you're doing, when he's at the center, then you're choosing life, you're choosing blessing. But when you're the center... What I mean by you is when, when you become as your own God. It's your life, your universe, your experience. Everything revolves around you. And you know, in that life, in, in, in that light, in life, we experience that a lot. I, just the other week, um, I was talking to some people, business people just like myself, and sometimes it, you know, clients or customers, the people that you deal with, everything is about them. Nothing is about you. And you might feel like they're not taking into consideration your time or the time of day that they're contacting you or or anything like that. All they care about is their life and what's affecting them. And they're contacting you with that in mind. They're really not thinking about, did they interrupt you? And when you think about that, sometimes it gets a little annoying that people are taking more than they're giving. 
but that's just the human condition. We've all been in that place. And if you're going to be a light in the world, if you're going to be the salt of the earth, then you can't respond with your own self-centered response. Because God is no respecter of persons. It means everybody is on equal ground and of equal importance and of equal worth. Now, God assigns people different tasks, different positions, and it says that some parts are given more glory than others. But all things being equal, that doesn't mean that he sees one person of any less value in his heart than another. But with human beings, it's much different than that. Everybody has different values. Everybody has different worth in your sight, I'm talking about. Right? So if something bad happens to somebody that you personally know and love, you respond totally different than reading about what happened to somebody else in the paper. But with God, his, his love is, is not, okay, I'm going to love this person and I'm going to put more effort in, and into this person. And that person prayed, but I'm going to put them in a less important... Now, I know it's tempting to think that way, but the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. In other words, if you come to him, if you value what he values, if you, if you hold faith, hope, and love, the things that Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my word, he will keep my commandments... This is the commandments according to the New Testament. They're not ten. There's only two of them mentioned that John mentions in his letters, in his epistles. He mentions believing on the name of Jesus and loving one another. Everything is wrapped up in those two things, believing on the name of Jesus and loving one another. You have both of those together. If you purpose to do both of those, you do them by faith, and you're walking a walk. Your, your life is pleasing in God's sight. So, so I, had, I had the type of week where I had people requesting my time, more of my time, more of my energy, more of my focus because they were what was important to them came before what was important to me. And they did it in such a way, and I understand that. I understand everybody has their, their important thing, but it affected my attitude a little bit. And so... I had to get away and go to a place where I could just be alone. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I'm here to, I know that the most important thing in your eyes are the people around me, other people. People, not places and things, are important in God's eyes. God values people. And so I need, if that's important to that person, then that needs to be important to me as I'm connecting with this person. What does the Bible say? to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. In other words, make that connection. I wasn't making that connection, so instead I was, I was getting annoyed. I was, you know, my attitude was getting poor. And the peace of God was leaving me because that alignment wasn't there. You know, I, I look at it like this. Think about, um, we don't have TV here. Uh, in my home, we have uh, internet instead. And so... Several years ago, I bought a, a Roku, and now we have that on one TV, and, and uh, on the other TV, it's already internet ready, so um, we watch Netflix on it. And Netflix, I really used to enjoy Netflix, and they have some really good Christian 
uh, documentaries and shows and things like that on there. But as time has gone on, I mean, the amount of junk is incredible. So I get plenty of the news on the internet. But here's the thing. We were watching a show the other night and all of a sudden the picture just disappeared. And when the picture disappeared, my first thought was something happened to the internet connection either at the modem or the router. So the signal comes into your house and it goes into a modem. And most of you have wireless devices that are hooked up to the internet. So the signal passes like water through the modem out into the router and then it sends the signal into wherever your device is. Okay, that's just a, a simple way to explain it, explain it. So if suddenly the internet stops working on your phone or it stops working on your computer or it stops working on your TV, what's the first thing you think of that the connection must be broken? Now you don't say, you don't think to yourself, oh, Netflix must have just closed down because the signal just appeared. Or somebody must have dropped a bomb on the uh, television station. All those things, I guess, are possible, right? I mean, they're not probable, but they're possible. But the first thing on our mind is something broke the connection. And, and see that God is that way. There is a truth in the Bible. And the truth that you're living may seem to not reflect that truth. And so maybe you're using your intellect and you're trying to understand what the Bible teaches from an intellectual standpoint. But in your heart, you haven't looked to God and you don't have faith in God, right? You just, you want to believe, but you're not at the point where you do believe. You're kind of like the guy who brought his son, who had the epileptic, epileptic seizures, to Jesus' disciples and they couldn't cast out the spirit. Then Jesus comes down from the mount where the transfiguration had just taken place with James and John and Peter. And the father brings the boy over and says, I brought my son to your disciples to cure him, but they could not. If you can do anything, please help me. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, in the original language, he's basically saying, it's not what I can do, it's what you can believe. Because remember, Jesus did no mighty work in his own hometown because of their unbelief. They said, oh, this is the carpenter's son. Now, people say it differently today. They said, Jesus doesn't do things like that anymore. He only does those things if he wants to. And the only way we'll be able to tell if he wants to is to pray and see what happens. And let me tell you, if you pray to see what happens, you hardly ever see anything happen because we walk by faith and not by sight. And so you have to believe that something has happened before it happened. And that's not like an intellectual mind over matter trick. That's having faith in God. That's believing that the situation, it's a done deal before you see it as a visible done deal. That means you see the situation, you see the answer, even though you haven't seen it happen yet, but in your heart you see it as a done deal. No doubting, no wondering, no wavering, no questioning what's taking so long. You take the truth of the Bible above the truth that your eyes is telling you, and that's what you are cemented in. Right? And that's why the Bible calls faith a fight, because we can't help but go through that fight to some degree. Sometimes it's a real tough fight. When your emotions are telling you that God hasn't heard you, that it's not working. But here's the thing, we don't we question God, but in reality it's the connection. 
And, and you don't connect by God through works. You connect with him in your heart. Deep down on the inside where your knower is. Did you ever just know something in your heart? Did your heart ever warn you about something that you were doing? But your intellect overrode that warning and you went ahead and did it anyway and then you suffered a consequence for it? Did you ever hear people say things like, something just told me? That's your heart. That's the part of you that believes. Now your head may believe too, or it may not, but it doesn't matter because it's the heart that God deals with, not the head. Right? The head can talk you in and out of anything. It talks people into murder. Your, your head, given the right set of circumstances, can justify doing evil. That's just the way mankind has been since the fall. But the new creation in your heart, well, that will check you. And you can override it if you want to. That's choosing death. Your eyes say, I want that. But your heart says, no, you, that's not good for you. So you can listen to your heart or you can listen to your head. Your heart says, God has heard, heard you. Your head says, no, he hasn't. Look. Or maybe he hasn't. Or hath God said? Like the serpent says, do you really think this will work for you? And so the connection is just an adjustment that you make in your heart. Sometimes all it takes is a confession of sin or faults or, or whatever, whatever it is that bugs you. See, what's bothering you today may be something different than what bothered you yesterday. The thing that's troubling your heart today may be totally different. That's why the connection with God is so important because when you're talking to him, he will show you what's that light will show you in your heart where you might be missing. All you have to do is ask. So I heard this story about this woman in this book. I started talking about it and forgot about it. And she went to a, a meeting and got prayed for, and she had arthritis really bad in both of her hands. And she said her hands were so bad that she couldn't hold a, a cup of water in, in her hand. She needed to take two hands, try and press them together, and her, fi her fingers looked like claws. They were all disformed because of the arthritis. And she was prayed for, and the pain left probably 80% of it right away, and she focused on God from that point forward, and her hands still looked like claws. And so as she began to forget about her hands and start looking to God, eventually her fingers became straight again. And that 80% rel relief from pain became 100%. And she just kept on living like that. So a period of three years passed, and she met a woman. And the woman said, I was at the crusade, and I was working with the team when you were prayed for. And I wanted to know, are you still normal? And she said, yes, I am. And my hands are straight, became straight and everything, and I'm fine. So she said, would you mind going to your doctor? When was the last time you've been to the doctor? And she says, well, I haven't been there in three years, ever since I received my healing. She said, well, would you mind going back and getting him to authenticate it? Because we would like to use your testimony 
and we're looking for other people too that we can use to show people that God really does heal today and it's not just some fake thing that traveling evangelists try to promote and then the people are just as bad as they were a few weeks later. It's not some mind over matter thing. So she said, yeah, sure. Well, what happened afterward was interesting because she went back to the doctor. The doctor saw that her hands were normal, her fingers were normal, there was no pain. He did some tests on her, and this is what he said. You're not healed. You have the same arthritis in your body for some reason. It's not giving you any pain, and your fingers are straight, but you still have the arthritis. So the woman called back told the woman from the Evangelistic Association what the doctor said, and then said over the next seven days, she said this later on, the pain began to increase in her hands, and she had trouble with her finger movements. So the word of the doctor versus her experience versus the word of God, guess which one she chose? She chose the doctor. And her condition began to return. And she said seven days later, a week later, she recognized that this had to be a satanic power at work. Obviously, she said it was God's power at work that took away the pain and made her finger straight. But the fact that the pain has returned and she's losing motion in her finger movements shows that to her it was a satanic power. And so she rebuked the devil in Jesus' name, told him to leave, and put 100% of her heart focus back on the Lord, on his goodness, on his power, and his ability in her heart. As long as she messed around with this situation in her head, in her thought life, with her intellect, she seemed to lose ground. As long as she shut that part down and focused with her heart on God, which allowed her thoughts to be filled with positive things instead of negative, the symptoms disappeared. Well, the short of it is, all those th symptoms that were returning disappeared, and to this day, her hands are normal again. And so, why did, why did God choose to do it like that? I have no idea. Maybe he wanted to show that his power was more power head-on with the enemy. Maybe that was his way of showing the doctor that what happened was truly miraculous. Because, and I've heard this before, there was a man who had, I forgot what type of operation he had, but somebody prayed for him. And after the surgery, the doctor said, your body's not producing whatever it is, and you should be dead. But the guy was up and walking and back to healthy lifestyle. When he came back to the doctors, the doctor examined him and said, I've never seen anything like this. According to all these tests, your body isn't producing whatever it was. And basically said you should be a piece of meat on a slab in a morgue somewhere. Not happy, smiling, walking around. So maybe that's God's way of showing the medical profession, practitioners, whatever you want to call them, that they're not God and that they've exalted their own knowledge above what God's word says. So I'm not a type of person, I'm not against science, I'm not against medicine, I'm not against any of those things, but... It just seems like they each carry a price tag. When God fixes somebody, everything works. When, when men fix people, oftentimes there's parts missing. So anyway, I'm going to leave that with you. 
we have the ability to choose life. We have the gift to make the choice of whose report are we going to believe. There is the truth of what we see, but then there's the absolute truth of what God said. And in my own experience, I've learned that I have to be 100% behind that absolute truth as it pertains to any given test or trial that I may be facing. As a matter of fact, I'm facing one that seems to be uh, coming to a head in August. And this is something that I've been... It's a test and trial that's lasted for several years now. Probably seven years? About seven years. And it's something I've wrestled with. I mean, we're all, we're all basically the same when you get right down to it. But the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, we all find certain things a little bit harder than it seems that other people are just breezing right by. But we have these trouble areas. It's like we're in, the, we're in the same room together, but we're all taking different tests, if that makes any sense. And so you look at what somebody else is doing over there, and it's like, I can't believe they just breezed by Section 5. My Section 5, is, it just feels like it's pulling me under the water. And there's somebody over there, they were even better in their Section 5 than I am in my test in my Section 5. You get what I'm saying. But what did Jesus say? He just said, Follow me. So that's what I'm going to do. I thank God that he's the judge that we stand before with Jesus next to us and not the devil. Amen. Anyway, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. If you haven't been to the main website and you'd like to subscribe to get updates every time a new podcast comes out, you can visit the main site at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Again, that's www.faithtestedbyfire.com. You can sign up there, and every time a new podcast is released, we will send you an email update. Thanks for listening. God bless, and I will talk to you again soon.